and welcome to the Cambridge Assessment Podcast. I'm Ashley Capaldi and with me today is Colleen McLaughlin from the University of Cambridge's Faculty of Education. Hello Colleen. Hi Ashley. So today we're going to talk a bit about the work you've done around emotional development and emotional resilience and how long have you been working in that sort of field? Uh Probably about 40 years, started as a, a school teacher and then the last 35 as a researcher, higher education person. So have you been with the university that whole time as a researcher? Have you been moving about? I've been mostly with the University of Cambridge, mm-hmm. but I also went down to have a spell at the University of Sussex. Okay. So you look primarily at the school's role in social and emotional development, is that right? Yes. So I suppose one of the big projects we did was for the Nuffield Foundation with colleagues from Cambridge. Uh, And it was looking at what's the school's contribution to well-being. Okay. Well, what did you find in that? Was it a big study, a research study, or was it kind of a a literature review? Yeah, it was a review of evidence. Mm -hmm. Um, was in 2015 Mm -hmm. so it was looking at what did we know at that point Uh, and we did some reanalysis of existing data uh, with that focus in mind Uh, the data sets were large they were the data sets used by the world health organization okay and what we found is that there are factors in the schools that have a considerable impact on young people and their development Mm -hmm. Uh, factors such as the degree of connectedness to the school. So how connected are young people to the school through either curricular activities or through relationships, particularly important with teachers uh, and young people? And how do they feel included? So was that something that was worldwide? You mentioned the World Health Organization's data. Are you looking at England specifically for that? We were looking at England, but we were we were one of the things we were very interested in is international comparisons. So we were very interested in our near neighbours. Okay. So how do we compare? How do young people compare to our near neighbours in Europe, for example? So we were interested in how young people saw school, whether they were satisfied, the sorts of issues they had. And there were differences, actually, with our European neighbours. Can you remember any off yes, the top of your head? I, I can remember that uh, many young people in England, as opposed to Wales or Scotland, were less satisfied, uh, less connected with school later on, which is normal because that's what happens in adolescence. But the, the particular pressures of a high accountability system, high testing system, were showing, and they were showing particularly with the more able pupils. So that's a concern, that they were slightly more disconnected um, from other students in near-neighbour countries like Belgium, Holland, so on. So we're perhaps constructing a little more stress than our near-neighbours for our students. Okay, so you've got another big project starting this month, you said. What are you looking at this time? This time uh, we're looking at mental health of young people in a context of a digital world they live in. Um, It's an ESRC project, which means it's the Economic Social Science Research Council, Mm -hmm. which largely does research. But this is an impact project, so 
It's turning that around. It's trying to turn the research into practice. Um, and it's led by Gordon Harold, who's at University of Sussex. And there, it is multidisciplinary. So we're looking at schools, families, uh, young people's digital world, so, and trying to mix that up together. Uh, and I'm looking particularly at the schools side of things. So you're looking into how you think schools should respond to this new digital world their yeah. students are living in. So we're going to try and partner with people who work in this field, mm-hmm. so uh, organisations that work with youth, organisations that work with young people's mental health in schools. Uh, and we're going to try to identify... We are starting by identifying three areas that we think research says are priority areas. One is um, the idea of schools as nurturing environments. How can we build schools so that they are actually nurturing of young people, which includes resilience, which we mentioned earlier? And the, the second is young people's peer worlds. So peer relationships are incredibly important for mental health. Schools do a great deal, good schools do a great deal to build those relationships. And thirdly, to look at the relationship between specialist services for young people who may have real need, high need, and mainstream schools, try to build some bridges there. So those are the three we're starting with probably. Uh, and we'll announce those in March later okay. this month. And um, you mentioned before that there's a current fashion with people looking into how we can support children in schools that you need mental health experts yeah. doing this in that context. Yeah. And you said you sort of disagree-ish with yes. that. Because I'm very keen that we develop an educational response, not a medical response. Okay. Um And I think the line that we've gone down in this country in terms of policy has largely been a medical line. So we know, for example, as I mentioned earlier, that teacher-pupil relationships, pupil-pupil relationships in schools help young people to be protected against difficulties. That's not a medical task. That's an educational task. So... I worry, I do have to say I worry a little bit that the reliance on medical experts has, in a sense, undermined teachers to feel that they can't act in terms of in the field of mental health in young people. Whereas I believe that the evidence shows that they have a considerable influence uh, and that schools run as good nurturing organisations would promote the cognitive and the social and emotional needs of young people. Interesting. So you're looking at several different areas and it all does need to come together as a bit of an holistic response. to. Is this a new problem, do you see, then? Mm. Are you just looking at the digital world of children? So has something very drastically changed in the last five or ten years? Uh, Obviously it's changed. Young people's Mm -hmm. worlds have changed. My world has changed with the digital revolution yeah um and but there's nothing inherently good or bad about that it's mm-hmm. about what we do with that um and i, d- I think that, that it is going to require adaptation 
there's just been a recent survey results, very important survey of, um, it's a national health surveys of young people's mental health. Basically, the situation hasn't changed that much since the 90s. Oh, really? So there was a huge increase in young people's mental health concerns and everybody predicted there would be another one now, but there hasn't been. It's pretty stable. Around 10 to 12% of young people having what we call diagnosable mental health difficulties. So it hasn't changed that much. What has changed, I think, is how young people respond to challenging contexts and the way in which they express their difficulties. So we know, for example, young people are drinking less today, um, but they are more concerned about their bodies. I think that's a social issue. It, It reflects the context in which they live. We also know that social platforms have an impact, but not all of them. So people who use certain social platforms, young people who use certain social platforms, have more difficulty on some than others. So if you work with YouTube, you are less likely to have body image problems than if you work with Instagram. I think I saw a graph yeah. showing that. Was that yesterday? It was a couple I of days ago, that's right. I think right. we saw the same one at the same place. Yes, I think that's <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that was really interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. So that, for me, reinforces the idea that there's nothing good or bad about it, about social network platforms. It's how they're run, how young people use them. And I think what I'm interested in is how to develop young people's capacity to recognise those things and actually work with them themselves. Uh, rather, I do think we need regulation, but I don't think it's the answer. Not in schools anyway. We need to help young people make those judgments themselves uh, and work with each other, Yeah. you know, to improve it. Yeah, to teach them how to have the correct yeah. response to whatever it is they're seeing. Yeah. Interesting. So this is, it's quite a long-running project, isn't yeah. it? You've just started. Yeah. When's your estimated completion date? Three years from now, so okay. there'll be different phases to it. So we will run some small projects this year, then we will they'll get bigger and bigger as we go along and hopefully generate some other projects that will be funded so that we'll have quite a programme of work um, by the time we finish. And we'll have evidence on which teachers and principals and schools can can actually take forward their own programmes or activities. Excellent. And they can find out some information now about work that's already been done. That's yeah. at enurture, all one word, .org.uk. Thanks very much for coming in, Colleen. Thanks, it sounds Ashley. like a really interesting project Thank and I, it should have a, a practical impact. Thank you. Thank you as well for listening to the Cambridge Assessment Podcast. You can listen to more on our website. That's www cambridgeassessment.org.uk just search for podcast gallery and you can also find us on iTunes